Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we're streaming at WCEV1450.com. If you are new to the Radio Islam program, the Radio Islam family, keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. We're on every platform, uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn, and more. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. All right, Radio Islam family, we have got quite a bit to talk about. I am joined in studio by the impressive one, assistant producer, Ibrahim Baig. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Uh, and we've, uh, we've experienced quite a bit uh, in the past three days, uh, three, four days, as a matter of fact, so quite a bit has happened, uh, and a lot of what has happened, we are realizing it's impacted by the climate that our uh, president, I don't want to put this squarely just on a president, but the speech, his his speech, his rhetoric right now uh, is such that he is creating an environment where he is emboldening uh, these far-right uh, folks who not only have uh, separatist ideologies, but they have violent uh, and extremist uh, ideologies. And they have been emboldened right now. So in uh, Kentucky, in a, a, a Kroger grocery store, there were two African-Americans that were, that were killed by a white supremacist. Uh, as a matter of fact, that, that situation could have been so much worse. I mean, and it's it is you know it's it's god awful. It's a it's a tragedy that these two individuals lost their lives. Um, but to know that moments uh, that that little bit earlier, he was trying to get into a church. Now, if you all remember, 2015 Mother Emanuel Church, uh, Dylan Roof um, came in on uh, a, a group of worshipers. And, you know, open fire. So this leads me to the other thing um, that we are, you know, is consuming a lot of our conversation, uh, and rightfully so, uh, because whenever the sanctity of a place of worship is violated, uh, it gives us reason to pause even more so than, you know, when it happens uh, in one of those places where it does not seem to be as out of place, you know, it's, you know, if it happens out in the, sh- in, in, in the street, if it happens as a result of a, a police chase, uh, a home invasion or any other, any other number of, of things or on a battlefield, you know, when death occurs in those types of situations, it doesn't give us the same pause, the same, um, the, the same need to stop and, and reflect as it does when it happens in a place of remembrance, remembrance in, a, in a holy place, uh, in, a, in, a, in a synagogue, in a church, uh, in a masjid. So that's what we're, we're dealing with right now. So uh, we know that 11 people lost their lives um, in uh, at the Tree of Life Synagogue uh, in Pittsburgh. I think it was the Squirrel Hill neighborhood. Um, and this is where this is where we are right now. Um, and a lot of that is because of the just the the climate that has been fostered by a president who now refers to himself as a nationalist 
right? So let that sink in. He he refers himself now as a nationalist. So it really can't be too surprising that we're having uh, this resurgence uh, that didn't just start this weekend, but we're having definitely a resurgence of violent uh, outburst, you know, going back to Charlottesville, uh, going back to um, any any number of, uh, of attacks. Um, but that's where we are right now. Ibrahim, your thoughts? Um, it's a sign of the times, I guess. The hate and the violence and the violent... Uh, fantasies that are out there and being peddled out there as and really being normalized I think Mm -hmm. Um, as far as like blaming the president I don't go so far as some people would to like blame the president Um, as for the uh, shooting that happened in Kentucky yeah I don't think we know too much about the person specifically Um, obviously had white supremacist beliefs or whatever but I think they said he had some history of mental illness, maybe. We don't know what his political beliefs were in great detail, whether he was a supporter of the Trumpism type of movement or not. Mm -hmm. Um, In the case of the the bombs that were sent out, the suspect, uh, Cesar Sayoc, he was obviously a huge, huge Trump fan, like like we said before. Um, Even him... I tend to put it as someone who latched on to the Trump movement and 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 kind of got strength from it and was perhaps radicalized more by it. Um, it's difficult to say, but definitely was a big supporter of Trump and Pence. The um, person the, who's the suspect in the synagogue shooting was, uh, as far as we know, not a Trump supporter mm-hmm. because a Trump was not extreme enough for him. Which mm. is um, that's saying a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty disturbing. So he said something to the effect that there's no, the you know the MAGA hashtag and everything. Mm-hmm. So there's no MAGA until that we're cleansed of these people or something like that. Um, and so he was not a Trump supporter in that sense. But does does he, in a sense, symbolize? Um, all that hate that is out there and we're dealing with many different uh many different extremist kind of segments that some of them overlap and some of them don't you know the whole alt-right thing Mm -hmm. there's many different people that make up the alt-right some of them have overlapping beliefs regarding immigration or this or that and they might be very different in other ways you know um so it's it's I would say naive to lump everyone into the same category, which I haven't really heard people doing yet, but I'm sure, you know, eventually people tend to oversimplify things in that, in at some point. Yeah. Um, but like I said, mainly it speaks to the, the hate and the hateful rhetoric and the violent fantasies that are out there right now and are really becoming more popular and in a danger of becoming more and more legitimized as this overlapping occurs and kind of one one um ideology bleeds into the other in a sense well let me let's let me ask your thoughts on this then so at a trump rally one of his famous uh sayings and this started on a campaign trail mm-hmm. when he's talking about uh secretary hillary uh, clinton's emails Mm -hmm. It was always lock her up, right? Lock her up, lock her up. 
And that chant has now erupted, not just for when they're talking about Hillary Clinton, but it's also erupted when he's talking about anybody that they feel is anti-Trump. So this idea but Is he of, himself leading the chant for anyone who opposes him? or No, um, no, it just comes right out. Like the people start yeah, chanting? Yeah, the people immediately okay. just start chanting. Lock her up, lock him up, whatever, right? So I mentioned this because when we become a nation that goes... And, of course, this is all high-minded, right? You know, just theory. Um, Become a nation that accepts the omission of uh, due process. Uh, And we just go to the point of demonizing people because they they are on the opposite side of the political uh, spectrum. And we think that that is in, in itself is enough, this idea of lock her up, lock her up. At a certain point, doesn't it become more than just a chant that there is kind of an acceptance of whoever is against me or if I if I view somebody as being against me that they really are the enemy that they don't deserve uh, freedom they shouldn't be walking around what do you think of course it's a problem but um, what can we actually do about it what can Trump do about it maybe he can do something maybe I think he could do a lot more in trying to calm down that crazy sentiment yeah um but is he directly responsible for it i don't know maybe um i'm sure he gets a kick out of people cheering for him and and telling people and you know cheering to lock up his enemies or whatever Mm -hmm. um i'm sure he gets a kick out of that so he should i mean here's the thing that they were talking about on some other radio stations even today Mm -hmm. that there's two Trumps, right? There's a, this so-called presidential Trump who will come out after a tragedy like this and say things that you know any decent human being would be expected to say, and acting kind of calm and um, adult-like. Mm-hmm. And then the, he goes back; he reverts back to kind of his regular self, where he goes to the next rally and starts riling people up, uh, you know, along the same. Uh, along the same lines as always, right. whipping up that kind of angry sentiment uh, against Democrats and everyone else. So there's two kind of versions of Trump that people have observed here. It's also been referred to, I heard one uh, one journalist refer to it as Twitter Trump and teleprompter Trump. Mm-hmm. So when, when, when Trump is going off teleprompter, that's when he's going to be presidential he's sticking to the point whatever the message is he's staying on message and then when it's twitter trump it's all bets are off you know it's, it's all caps yeah <laughs> it's it's uh you just don't know what you're going to get mm-hmm. well you know what you're going to get when it's twitter trump we're we're starting to see a pattern you know over the past like two years right yeah but i know we can't say that it's just all on him I, I, but his platform Go yeah. go ahead. You you you're finishing the point. Well, um, it's it's also should be noted that if we're looking for just a verbal condemnation or something like that, yeah, that's always going to be. They're always going to be like come out and say, of course, this is a horrible thing, you know. Um, but I guess the deeper question is, which I think what you're getting into now is, what about the policies and, and actions speak louder than words, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the Trump administration's policies and what are their attitude towards? people on the extreme right do they 
are they kind of shunning the support of people on the extreme right, or are they still vying for it and kind of getting a kick out of it? Hold um, on. By policy, do you mean the statements, the official statements that the the White House is actually making in regard to these far-right uh, groups and far-right sentiments? That as well as actual decisions like building the wall and uh, sending the military to the border, mm-hmm. um, militarizing border patrol, Muslim ban, yeah. etc. Okay. All right. So th- those are yeah, they're they're connected, right? But I'm I'm looking at his use of because we're politicians, we are used to a certain degree of of uh, kind of two facedness, right? Where they will say one thing and then they'll they'll go and do another. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking at the fact is how was he using this bully pulpit? Um, and because his platform, it is the arguably uh, arguably the largest platform of any. Uh, yeah, it is. It's not arguably. It is the largest platform of any elected official in the country. In the world. Yeah, in the world, right? Yeah. So. Uh, and of course, there are arguments in saying that we are under this administration abdicating uh, that position of leadership that we have uh, held for, you know, since World War II, right? Um, but how he uses his platform that has to be taken into consideration because him saying something is not the same as the mayor of Carbondale. Right, it it's, it carries a, a completely different weight. What he says impacts the stock market, mm-hmm. right? That's that's huge. Um, and likewise, it also emboldens those people who see themselves as his proxy. They see him they, themselves as uh, acting in a somewhat. I mean, although they're not, but they see themselves acting in an official capacity, almost carrying out the will of the commander in chief, which is one that is against immigrants, against Muslims, and uh, and I would say also against African Americans. Um, so maybe maybe this is more of his. He has more of this blame to carry than folks would would I like agree. to say. I agree one hundred percent that he is in this position of being the most powerful, the most listened to speaker on earth, mm-hmm. and that he really does not realize the responsibility that comes with that at all i I agree with that 100 percent. and he should be doing a lot more to um quell and cool down these kind of fiery far-right sentiments Mm -hmm. yeah now that you put it like that that he has this position right that no one else in the world has yeah um and i yeah i really don't i agree i don't think he realizes the gravity of the situation that he's in now, when you mention policies, I'm thinking about. Um, I won't even go into. Of course, he could. He can uh, issue executive orders. He can um, talk to the uh, Republican uh, majority, you know, to the, to the leadership, and say, "I want legislation um, on that's that's maybe ramping up the penalties for hate crimes or you know hate speech or whatever, right?" But if we look at his track record and how he responded to the violence in Charlottesville, that was a a telling moment because now we find ourselves in in a situation once again where violence has uh, taken place 
and at its root is a you know there's a, a, a white supremacist nationalist um, uh, ideology mm-hmm. uh, at the center right now whereas before it was there's good and bad people on both sides right mm-hmm. that, according to him now we're in a position where he has you know he's called it a tragedy right but he has not come out to make a statement. Of course, we don't expect him to make a statement like like that, but a statement denouncing white supremacist, uh, white supremacy, uh, denouncing. He's denounced anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. He did denounce that. Yeah. But he has not denounced white supremacy. Right. And I think. Do you think these things are uh, uh, that that one has to be connected to the other or? Do you think he's trying to maybe go around saying that, uh, p- putting it in that particular way, so as not to uh, offend that part of his base? That's an interesting question. Of course, they are related in real life, but are they related in his mind? Right. You know that I don't know. Um, I do remember actually Steve Bannon coming out. After, I believe it was after the Charlottesville thing. Mm-hmm. Where somebody asked one of the uh, some reporter was in like a one-on-one interview with Steve Bannon. They asked him explicitly, you know, what do you like? What are you going to say about this uh, whole white supremacist Nazi whatever movement? Mm-hmm. And he did say that, oh yeah, you know, of course we need to like destroy it or whatever. Um, but like I said, actions speak louder than words. You know, I do believe Steve Bannon is still a, a white supremacist a white nationalist um he of course disavowed himself from nazis or whatever which is okay most people would do that anyway Mm -hmm. Uh, i think it's a little nazis are a little bit different from his vision of what he wants america to be even though he wants a a white america and you know white isolationists place um his vision of that is a little bit different from nazis trump same thing if he is a, a racist or whatever He's certainly not a Nazi sympathizer. Um, doesn't mean he's off the hook, obviously. Right. But my point is you will see uh, eventually uh, President Trump come out and say explicitly, yes, I'm against Nazis, and yes, I'm against people killing in the name of white nationalism or whatever. Um, but it, it, it's not really going to solve the problem in the long term because those elements are still going to be there, you know? I don't think he'll lose support. Mm-hmm. Um, from them, even if he were to say that, because they're going to say, who else would we support? You know, right? right. We're not going to support a Democrat. What's the alternative to Trump? Yeah, yeah. Let's see. For me, it's like a partial conversation. Um, the violence that took place in uh, in Charlottesville, it was very much. It it, it looked, uh, it looked much more. Uh, even though I was going to say, it looked much more. Uh, like black and white, mm-hmm. uh, even though we know there were there were loads of um, uh, white uh, white people who are in opposition to these. Um, I, I can't remember what's the name. The whatever these fellows were, the, this alt right movement, right? There are loads of protesters, uh, white protesters, uh, in addition to African American other people of color. Um, <clears throat> But I know also that one of the slogans that they were saying was, uh, Jews will not replace us, right? Yeah. So that angle, 
that that angle where it became a discussion about anti-Semitism as well. So anti-Semitism has had a um, it's had a it's occupied a particular space uh, as far as being watched for uh, in the United States. Uh, and, and, and rightfully so, uh, we, we think about the United States response to uh, a ship, a ship full of, uh, of refugees, you know, looking for protection. Trying to escape the Holocaust. Trying to escape. And we turn them away. Yeah. Right. Uh, so anti-Semitism has a particular, uh, it has a place that you just, you don't want to be labeled an anti, anti-Semite. Right. Not not if you. you just, that's not something that any person of conscience right, wants to have on them. But these people, these all right uh, movement folks, they, that's not really something that they're worried about. They, they don't worry. They don't worry about the label. Um, and I'm, I'm bringing this up because I'm trying to move to the. Um, <clears throat> trying to move to the next part of the conversation, which is anti-Semitism is one aspect of it right one one aspect of, of this hate and prejudice but then you also have this current phenomenon which we've has been labeled islamophobia uh but and you also have uh anti-black racism right which has been here in the united states since since the united states you know has been in, and prior to its founding i feel like we're having half of the conversation right we decry one part of it with real veracity uh, and intention uh, and look for anti-Semitism. But when it comes to these other, these other two components that I've mentioned, and we could also talk about just, just bias against you know, immigrants in, in general, right? We're not having the complete conversation. We're, we're not really talking about all those things and they don't carry the same weight as being labeled, being labeled a, a, a racist or being labeled a xenophobe um, or any other phobe hmm. doesn't really carry the same weight. Do you think that? Um, do you think that we're coming to a point now with what just took place in uh, uh, the Tree of Life Synagogue that we're going to have conversations that begin to encapsulate the reality of hate as it as it relates to all of these areas, as opposed to kind of just an isolated uh, outcry. Um, sounds like you're saying that we are, that we need to, or we're starting to view hate as one kind of ideology, that the people who hate uh, Jews are the same people who hate Muslims and, and, and so on. Um, yes. I think there is some truth to that, but at the same time, um, it's difficult to say that, like, absolutely across the board, like, that's how it works, you know. I view the alt-right, like I said, as more a kind of mix of different ideologies, some of them overlapping, some of them not. There's people who are violently anti-Semitic, and there's people who are staunchly pro-Israel, you know, mm-hmm. both on the far right. Um, how, do, how do I lump that together, you know? It just doesn't make sense. Um of course, we all need to be against hate and violence of, of all types. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, yes. But in a more intricate political sense, I see it as a conglomeration of many different 
types of people on many different wavelengths who agree on certain things. They agree on Trump, and they agree on immigration, and they agree on you know whiteness or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot that they're different on. You know, mm. it's just yeah. It's complicated. It's more complicated in some ways, but in some ways, yes, being against all kinds of hate is good. Mm-hmm. Being against all types of racism is good, you know? Um, so in that sense, yes. Yeah, I feel like the... So like the uh, Anti-Defamation League, right? Uh, they are on it, right? They are on it when it comes to uh, anybody who is, um, you know, if you're... If you're out there bad, they're gonna you know they're gonna find you, uh, and and put you on blast, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that and it really does carry a particular weight that I, and that I don't see when it comes to um, hmm. well maybe I should backtrack a little bit because I'm thinking like I was gonna say that it doesn't carry the same kind of weight that if when it comes to you see somebody if somebody going is branded, you, you're talking about anti-Semitism. Yes. If somebody is branded an anti-Semite, you mean that their kind of political career or whatever That's career is, is over. Yeah. Whereas if someone is branded uh, an Islamophobe or a racist against African Americans, it might not be uh, this. Matter as, of fact, they have ex- a career. Matter of fact, yeah. that's that's <laughs> that's a, that's what they build careers off of, right? But you can't build a mainstream uh, career off of being an anti-Semite. Right. Right. But you can, but you build, can a build a career, career off of being an Islamophobe. Yeah. Or being uh, 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 being a racist. Yeah. Right. You can build careers off those things. So what it does, it it it, it kind of monetizes hate in a sense where uh, certain hate is rewarded, um, and because of that, the recipients of that hate don't always see the connection. They don't they don't see hate as a universal. Uh, thing they don't see themselves being in the same boat, so to speak, mm-hmm. because one hate there's no room for, but the other so hate. So you want to see the same in the same intolerance that we have towards anti-Semitism. We want our society to have the same intolerance and uh, uh, rejection of Islamophobia and anti-Black racism, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the unfortunate thing about it is. When we have these, um, when we we have these uh, loss uh, losses of life, and it brings us together, and that's just, you know, we come together for births and funerals. That's just how families are in general. Um, but the larger interfaith family and uh, folks who don't necessarily even have a faith, but just as as human beings, when we uh, experience the loss of life, like I said, in a sacred space. It brings us together. We we lean on one another. We want to show support. Um, but it's not the same type of support that's shown when it's um, like okay. We'll we'll put up Laquan McDonald, right? That he he kind of got he got the news and and local folks came out and marched, but there wasn't a vigil in in every city. Right there, there was not a, a there weren't proclamations made. There were not, um, uh, as a matter of fact, it was a division that came about about it. And I know for some people, people feel like, well, it's polit- being politicized, right? But really, politics—the whole thing about politics—politics politics is not that you're getting everything you want, 
but you're getting something. All right? Everybody gets something that they're looking for. And the things that we're all looking for, we're all looking for are safety and security, um, uh, dignity. And when that's taken away from, from any group of people, you would expect for other folks to, to step up. So th- there's, a, there's a difference. So, yeah, I know it's, like I said, it's politicized for some folks. But for me, I, I really want the conversation to move in a direction where we start to see that these things are really all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, as far as politicizing it, yeah. I don't even think politicizing a tragedy like that is necessarily a bad thing unless it's kind of glossing over the person the victims themselves and kind of turning you know into a whole other circus but politicizing it in and of itself is really the path to uh making change i don't think it's in and of itself a bad thing you know yeah you know and i think maybe when it comes maybe politicizing is not necessarily the the best way to put it more so where people look for their own self-interest right not to necessarily show up to really grieve uh to really support but just to kind of kind of be about well what about me yeah right so i can walk and chew gum at the same time um i i sincerely feel the loss because you know like i said we think about I don't even have to go back to um, Mother Emanuel Church in South Carolina. We could just think about um, the the losses of life that happen here in Chicago on a on a regular basis, and how families are are wrecked. How the psyches of young people they're walking around with um, with emotional disorders, you know, post traumatic stress disorder, undiagnosed. Uh, and this is this is the reality, and that's a sad thing when you really stop to think about that. Uh, it, it should it should give you pause. It should make you, you know, it should make you feel like you want to do something. So, my heart goes out to those families and to the community because even if even if you weren't even if you didn't lose a family member there, right? That's still a place of worship that you're not going to look at in the same same way again. Yeah, you course. know. You don't have that same sense, and it's going to take a while. Uh, and even though Trump mentioned what he said something initially about um, uh, if they would have had an armed guard, then things would have been different. Things might have been different, something to that effect. Mm. And the responses he got, you know, somebody, matter of fact, someone here from Chicago, I saw responded. Mm. It's like I've, he says, I don't ever remember going to, and I know it's different for. It's not the same for every synagogue, but she said, I don't ever remember going to uh, uh, to the temple and not seeing an armed guard. So this is something that many communities have already been aware of and responded to. Yeah. See, that what he did is the wrong form of politicizing it. So he starts <laughs> talking about, he's hinting at, you know, Second Amendment rights and right. uh, arming everyone at every public place and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's the wrong form of politicizing it. Yeah. Something like Laquan, when people started protesting and marching, that would be like the good form of politicizing it, in my yeah. mind. You know? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And although the street is not a necessarily a sacred uh, space, but it should be seen as a safe space. Yeah, right? especially when you're surrounded by cops. <laughs> you should feel safe. Yeah, 
you know, uh, you shouldn't be thinking that, man, this is a wrap. You know, it's mm-hmm. about to be over. Um, so this idea of, of safety, um, I think that this is a uh, it's a common thread and, a, and an aspiration, something that we don't we don't necessarily think about when we're used to being in safe spaces. Mm. Um, and of course, we are going to look at our houses of worship as, as safe spaces. Yeah. Uh, but and when that's taken away from us, you know, man, you you've taken something that, like, man, how do you, how do you get that back? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you get that back? So, I'm I'm truly empathetic, uh, you know, and I'm I'm praying for those families and for that community. Yeah, I take your point. I agree. Um, there's no doubt that this is a, a horrible tragedy, yeah. um, and we do feel for the people who suffered and are still suffering. Um, the house of worship was violated. That's a horrible thing. Um, I agree that I want to see this outrage and this sympathy and this hurt that we're all feeling right now extend in an, in an equal way when we see like a, a young black man get murdered, for example, yeah. um, or feel the same outrage towards... Uh, Islamophobia, mm-hmm. um, and, and so on. Yeah, anti-immigrant sentiment. Yeah, and and a part of it is I do think we're we're heading in that direction though. Now I think so too. Yeah, yeah, and it's little it's little signs, um, and I'm going to use an analogy from uh, from the vigil, uh, and we'll we'll get into the specifics a little you know in, in a minute a little later, but uh, at each vigil, people customarily have these little candles and you know they're small candles and uh, depending on the weather uh, like last night it was a little windy and some of the candles were blowing out Uh, I recall somebody making the point that you know it it doesn't matter if some go out the whole point is that we still have some that are still lit right so it's not always about having this huge huge light uh, because even a few lights can be seen from a distance. Even a few lights can help to uh, to, to lead the way. So uh, to your point, I do think that things are getting better because we're starting to see more people connect the dots, uh, more people connect uh, this hatred because it all springs from the same, same space. Um, but it's a matter of public perception. And this is why I mentioned the ADL. Uh, they have done a, they have done a, a, a masterful job at checking people before they start going off the rails, mm. uh, of, of, of identifying people who are. If you make an anti-Semitic statement, anything that is deemed to be that, then you're gonna get a phone call. You're gonna get outed, right? And and whether you meant it that way or not, then you know you you have a dialogue or, or whatever uh, whatever is the case uh, may be. But when it comes to Islamophobia, even though we have organizations like uh, CARE, um, uh, and we've, we've got some other organizations, but CARE being the most prominent, I think, uh, in the United States with regard to uh, speaking up for the civil liberties of, of Muslims, I don't know if they are, even if CARE is looked at, if, if their word is received in the same light, Right. If they label somebody an Islamophobe, uh, you're saying some some things that are uh, Islamophobic or whatever. 
I don't know if that gives it doesn't people the, the same. same no, that's exactly that's my point. Or with the NAACP, right? And they've been around for you know for for years and years. You know, I think uh, a century now, over a century. NAACP uh, about a century. Yeah. So um, even when they call somebody out for racism, it still doesn't have the same impact. I think if. Somebody were to in a public in the pu- public figure, if they were to use the N word, yeah, in in a angry kind of way, yeah, I th- I do think it would scar them scar them for life. It would scar their career. For- I, I agree, but not necessarily because of anything that the NAACP in particular would have said, mm-hmm. right? Look at Megyn Kelly. Yeah, right. She's she's trying to make a case for for dressing up in blackface. Mm-hmm. For, for Halloween, I still can't laugh. At, I still can't help but laugh at the stupidity. Um, like, like, what year do you think this is? The NWCP did not have to issue a statement. It was the responses that she got. You know, Al Roker. You know, got in a grill. Um, um, who else? Roland Martin. But not just that. It was just the leadership there understanding that there's no place for that type of sentiment uh today it was not in a, it was not external it was internal it was an internal move mm-hmm. and maybe it was kind of thinking about the possibilities of uh you know backlash from an organization like the NWCP and I don't want to by any means take away from the uh from, from the great work that they have been doing and continue to do uh, I'm just saying that there is a visible difference when one organization issues a uh, statement as opposed to the other I think the issue here is um, I'm going to go off what one uh, Muslim scholar said like mm-hmm. many years, about a decade ago um, it's about making we, we're talking about things that aren't technically illegal right, right. not violence itself but mm-hmm. sentiment anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic uh, speech Right. right, anti-Muslim speech, racist speech. Mm-hmm. These are technically things that are not illegal. Um, what the groups like the ADL and other Jewish advocacy groups have done over time, and um, and just people too, was to make these things that are not technically illegal to make them socially unacceptable. Right, right, right. And the scholar was saying that this is what we need to do with uh, Islamophobia and derogatory comments about Islam because we need to make it it won't be illegal but we need to make it socially unacceptable mm-hmm. in the same way that for example using the n-word or using anti-semitic slurs is socially unacceptable your career really cannot survive you know once right. you do that even though you haven't broken the law mm-hmm. um, that's the best that we can hope to do with Islamophobia and with other things too I, so it's an issue of making yeah. it socially unacceptable rather than uh, so when it comes to that point, after a certain point, um, you don't even need a group to come to your rescue, right? Mm-hmm. You don't even need, like if somebody uses the N-word, they don't, it's not even necessary for the NAACP to stand up and say, hey, what are you doing? You know, you can't do this. Automatically, society knows that you just crossed the line right, right. there. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, you just played yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, it's just... It's the, the difficulty is in sensitizing people who may uh, harbor unconscious uh, unconscious bias, mm-hmm. um, who may have been brought up to believe that there is a difference 
um, that one is actually superior to the other. So that, you know, this this idea of just uh, a large umbrella where everything is um, everything is unacceptable, mm-hmm. right? Any act of any any statement of uh, of, of any racist or, or prejudice or just just you saying something out the box uh, that we just not go, that we're not going to accept it. There's no room for it. That becomes really a, an educational matter because the only way for that to work, um, people have to be sensitized. So that means that there has to be a component that that exists within the uh, uh, within education, uh, academic, but but as well as the faith um, faith based education. Right. So I think these are things that um, that are going to have to be present uh, and, and worked on so that we can get to the point where we actually have what we actually don't need for um, for an organization to come up and, and, and denounce somebody for saying something that's way off in left field. Yeah, maybe. All right. So we're going to take a short break uh, and we will be back and we're going to get into Get into some more. This is Radio Slime on WCEV, 1450 AM. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we're streaming at WCEV1450.com. If you are just tuning in, you can keep up with us on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You might miss the uh, the daily on-air broadcast, but you can always go back and check out what you missed. So wherever you get your podcast, you will find us at Radio Islam USA. We're on Apple Podcasts, uh, I, uh, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud. Take a moment. Let us know what you think. We, we uh, love to get feedback from the Radio Islam family. Uh, last but not least, make sure that you are also stopping by RadioIslam.com. Okay, RadioIslam.com. Uh, there you're going to be able to check out guest pictures and bios. Um, and also, there are also uh, the occasional article there as well. So stay connected at Radio Islam USA, RadioIslam.com. All right. In our first uh, first segment, uh, the impressive one, assistant producer Ibrahim Beg uh, and myself, we talked about the uh, just the horrific loss of life that took place in Pittsburgh at the Tree of Life Synagogue. Uh, 11 people, 11 human beings lost their lives, uh, 11 people with families, uh, ties uh, to their community, uh, 11 people who were worshiping in in their house of worship, a place where we should feel secure, uh, that we should feel safe, 
Uh, and that is a, you know, it's an unthinkable violation. Uh, and just to kind of make this connection once again, very much, very similar to the, the way we felt uh, 2015 when Dylan Roof uh, went into Mother Emanuel Church. When Dylan Roof uh, walked into the Mother Emanuel Church in South, uh, South Carolina and killed nine people worshiping, nine people studying, nine people in a state of um, feeling that they were in a state of safety, a, safe, a state of security. Now, that said, we pushed the conversation uh, towards this allyship that exists between the, between the African-American community, the Jewish community, uh, the, the overall Muslim community. And when I say overall Muslim community, we do understand that even with Muslim and Jewish, we're still talking about a multi-ethnic uh, a multi-ethnic uh, composition. So uh, Muslims, uh, African-Americans represent about 20%, 25% of the Muslims in the United States. There are 50% of those who are native born uh, in the United States. Uh, but then you also have, you have a mix of others. You know, you have Latinx, you have uh, white, you have South Asian, you have uh, Arab, you have um, uh, Filipino, you, ha you know, you have so many different, uh, segments to the Muslim community. Sometimes we seem, we, we have a tendency to look at them, uh, as, as a monolith and that not being the case, but more importantly, this allyship that exists between the African-American community. And I really could have just said, we could have just said, insert group into, into the blank. Because this allyship is often based upon the historic um, struggle of the African-American community for its own dignity, for its own uh, safety and security and its uh, and, and opportunity that that our Constitution, um, our Constitution tells us that, that we have. Right. We've looked for uh, the same access that has been enjoyed by uh, by white people uh, in general, um, even though, once again, when you talk about this idea of, of, of whiteness, this is also not a monolith, right? We have poor whites, we have working class, we have rich, uh, just as you find in anything else. But systemically, when we talk about the idea of being able to have access, that access is, is something that has largely been afforded to uh, to white people. And uh, as such, because of our history here uh, in America, dealing with the enslavement of the Africans who were brought here and dealing with the uh, with those who objected, you know, conscious, conscientiously objected towards slavery uh, and, and sought for the abolition of it uh, and not necessarily in terms of, you know, we want you free, but we don't want you here. Right. Because that, that's a, a another segment of those who did not agree with slavery, but they also did not agree with the presence. They did not believe that we could have a, a peaceful coexistence of, of black and white. Right. So they were, um, they were those who were looking to, um, move, uh, Africans from America back to Africa or really anywhere else. Right. So, uh, but that's a different, different conversation. So what we, what we came to, what I what I brought up as as a critique as a concern is that this allyship it often produces result one sided results, 
and I don't think it's I don't think it's a malicious um, a malicious reality. It's a malicious uh, intent on any on the part of any group. But the reality is because there are structural elements which uh, which respond to or, or are dependent upon anti-blackness um, that. If blackness is not a part of the equation, it is a lot easier to 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 matriculate into a system where access is possible. So for all of the marginalized communities that we have. Uh, and and the the allyship and the uh, the organizational models that um, have been uh, that have been really patterned upon the civil rights movement. It has not produced the type of social condemnation with regard to the uh, with regard to prejudice or bias against African-Americans. Now, why is this important? It's important, in my opinion, because we're at a point now where I think our young people, uh, I have such great hope in our young people because they are starting to connect the dots on a way that is a lot more, I think, consistent uh, it is not um, situational. It's not transactional, uh, but it, it really is moving out of the silos that we often talk about. We talk about ourselves operating in silos, uh, but our young people, some of them, I won't say, you know, just, you know, there's, there's no magic pill, but I'm really hopeful at some of the uh, activity that I have seen uh, and some of the sentiments expressed by some of our young people. Uh, they're starting to get the message and it doesn't take a whole lot. So what we reference in the beginning, uh, in, in that first segment, we talked a bit about, uh, a rally that took place in federal plaza. Uh, I'm sorry, not a rally, a vigil. Uh, and actually it's important. That's an, actually an important, uh, misspeak right there because there were some who, who looked at what took place and their critique was that this is not a rally. Uh, this is not a rally. That this is a vigil, and because it's a vigil, we need to keep it focused on the individuals, and uh, it, it should not be politicized. And you know, and, and that train of thought, right? It just kind of extend that out. But this vigil was organized by a group of young uh, Jewish activists right here in Chicago, and they organized this interfaith vigil for the overall faith community and people of no faith to come out and to just to come together to to show uh support uh and certainly certainly goes without saying that a great part of our uh presence there was not just to honor the individuals to remember the individuals those 11 souls who had their lives taken uh, but it was also to send a message that uh, the the hatred that it, that fueled uh, this extreme anti-Semitic act would also not be accepted, and that you had people of different faiths uh, and, and no faiths. You had people that were there to stand on that on that principle as well. Now, what I also appreciate is that there was also the recognition that the same hatred that drove this terribly misguided and hate-filled individual to commit such an act uh, was also uh, at the center of the uh, thinking 
of the individual that killed two black people um, uh, at a Kroger uh, Kroger grocery store. I think one was in the parking lot and one was inside. Um, but the details, the minutiae really are inconsequential. They don't really matter. What matters is, is that it was brought up that this hatred, it comes from the same, it springs from the same place. And because of that, if we're going to stand against hatred, if we're going to stand against anti-Semitism, then we must stand against uh, anti-blackness. We must stand against, uh, stand against anti-black racism. We must stand against Islamophobia. We must stand against uh, every other demonization of a group of people where that hatred can be stoked and result in violence. Uh, uh, it can result in the, the liberty, the freedom, uh, the dignity being taken away from an individual because, believe it or not, brothers and sisters, um, regardless of uh, what your faith is, the the law of the land is our constitution. And that constitution allows us the freedom of religion. It allows us the freedom of, of practice. So, um, so it's, it's not about you as an individual or your individual uh, faith per se, but it is about this, this constitutional framework that we live, that we live under that's supposed to guarantee certain securities, certain safeties um, that we find violated. And when they are violated, it's important that everybody stands up. So one of the things that I mentioned um, in that first half was that I don't always see, I'm not going to say I don't always, I don't see, I don't see the same societal response when it is a young black man killed uh, and on the uh, and the perpetrator, the perpetrator happens to be a white man and not just a white man. The perpetrator happens to be a police officer. Now, of course, we don't we do not have time to go deep into that conversation, but you cannot divorce the uh, a culture, a society that has had at its roots this inferiority of the African-American uh, and, and a malice that has been uh, stoked in so many. So we can't, we can't gloss over that. We can't gloss over that. So what, what I'm asking for, what I'm looking for is the very same outrage, the very same commitment. I gave the one example uh, because, you know, if we're talking about police violence, uh, when it and, and with regard to the African American community, uh, communities of color, and how that's responded to, and how that, uh, how the the sanctity of life, uh, and even the safety of the public space, is not something that is, uh, it's it's not promoted and it's not realized, uh, it's not respected, when it comes to uh, African American death when it comes to violence against African-Americans. And it's certainly not, it's not something that uh, unfortunately has the same resonance when people hear a young African-American was shot, was killed. Um, we tend to look at it as par for the course uh, and we don't see the same 
We don't see the same roots uh, of hatred. We don't see anything really wrong with it. It has been normalized. Uh, much as the anti-Semitism uh, in Nazi Germany was normalized, right? It had to be normalized before it could be it could be acted on. So, what I'm looking for, I'm looking for uh, progress. I'm looking for a, a deeper sensitization uh, with regard to this. We've got a long way to go. Um, we certainly honor those who have uh, lost their lives in that horrific uh, attack. Our prayers are with the families, uh, the community, and our prayers are with the families of those two uh, individuals, those two African-American individuals um, who lost their lives in a space where you wouldn't think that you were would be in danger in a grocery store. But the source of both events is the same. It is hate. And it is hate that we have to stand against and is life and liberty and dignity that we have to protect and we have to promote. Uh, and we have to do that universally. So that's what we look for. Um, yeah, that's what we look for. And that's what we, we aspire to. All right. We appreciate you tuning in. We appreciate you listening. Uh, if you have any comments, feel free uh, to, uh, to to leave them. You can actually email us at info at producer. Uh, I'm sorry. Info at radioislam.com. You can leave them on our Facebook page. You can inbox us, tweet at us. Let us know what you think. Uh, let's talk about it. But let's talk to move us forward. All right. We thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. Uh, we thank you once again for listening. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Tariq Alameen. Uh, Ibrahim, Beg, and myself were the producers for this uh, program uh, tonight. And our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.